0: This week on A Lively Experiment, Speaker Mattiello faces a challenger familiar to those in his House district. And which Democrat will come out on top in this weekend's South Carolina primary?
1: A Lively Experiment
0: is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has
2: provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen
0: White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, former State Representative Dan Riley, Maureen Moakley, political science professor at the University of Rhode Island, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's A Lively Experiment. Speaker Mattiello can add this to his list of things to worry about this year. A challenger for his District 15 House seat, she is a familiar name in Cranston, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, wife of the city's mayor, Republican, Alan Fung. Professor, let me start with you. They were talking about her maybe running for mayor. She's got great name recognition, and in this race, that's important in Cranston because she's a known quantity.
3: Absolutely, but I really think she is going to be a formidable candidate. She's very talented. She's very articulate. I think she fits better in that district. In other words, it is a conservative district, and given given her positions that we know so far on issues. I think she is a formidable foe. I think Nick Mattiello has a lot to worry about. Yeah,
0: and she's been very active in Republican circles. So for people who know, you may not know her, she's not just the mayor's wife. She's been active politically. Oh, right. she's,
3: she's head of committees and things like that. She's very active. There was talk of her going for mayor, and I thought she was a credible candidate. But I think this race... I think Nick Mattiello has a lot to worry about if she indeed is going to be the challenger.
0: Well, he survives Steve Frias by a hair mm-hmm. the first go-round and then a little bit more comfortable margin. What is your thought
1: this far out? Well, I think the first thing Steve Frias would say was that it was very difficult running against the speaker when he was endorsed or received the support of pro-life and pro-firearm groups. And one thing you know he's not going to get this time around is the support of the pro-life groups, which is very important in his district. And the Second Amendment uh, folks are look at him waringly because they saw what happened on the abortion bill after he created that firewall uh, and wasn't going to let that or any anti-firearm bill that they didn't like get through. And they don't really trust him anymore. And that's going to really hurt him in this district.
3: And she fits that profile. And she fits and she that profile. She fits that profile Absolutely. perfectly. Yeah.
0: So if you're advising the speaker? It's going to be a,
2: a competitive race, I agree. On the other hand, he did win two tough campaigns against a very formidable opponent. I would never count him out. I, I, I think she's a formidable opponent. But he's had formidable opponents the last two races. I also don't think Trump is going to do, it will depend on the Democratic nominee, quite as well this time. Now that people have experienced his uh, three three years in change in the White House, as he did in the district last time, so I I think it's it's competitive, but if I had to put a nickel, and that's about all I would put, I would put it on Mattiello. How does the First presidential off, I race? Don't, fall? I don't
3: think that, I don't think this is going to matter. I don't think the presidential race is going to matter. First they're of all, they're focused, right? They're focused. I don't. And and the other thing is that you know Trump did pretty well. In other words, in this state, he did stronger. He did much better here than he did in Massachusetts. I, I, I just think. I mean, he'll probably be exonerated. I don't know. We'll talk about this, the grand jury. I don't even know what the crime is. I think he'll be exonerated from anything that has to do with that as far as the convention center. But just the taint of that, as well as the the problems that he's had with her as an opponent... Uh, He's done some really good things. He's been a very effective speaker, but I think, you know, I think he may be looking at an exit strategy. He can't talk about it now because he's got to hold the fort, but we'll see. But I I wouldn't put the nickel on it.
2: My, my, um, I probably wouldn't put a dime on it, but I'll put put a nickel on (laughs) it. All right. Um, My point about Trump is, is one is I do think there's still people that come out that are much more casual kinds of voters who don't pay close attention to local stuff. And um, Frias was helped greatly by how well Trump did in the district four years ago. Exactly. Um, I think he'll do a little less well, he'll still do probably fairly well in the district. And I do think Mattiello's got a, a record to run on, people know him in the district, he is, he is still the speaker. So I think at the end of the day I hear what Dan's saying about the firearms folks, but going against the speaker, even if, even if you think he's not quite as great as, as he was on, on those issues, um, is still a pretty big risk. to to pick up one seat. So I would rather be him than her, but not by a lot. I agree it's going to be a competitive well, talk- race. Go
1: ahead. No, I was just going to say, that, I mean, the presidential just brought out more turnout. And he did worse in that year than he did in the follow-up race against Steve Frias, where mm-hmm. arguably he ran a more tightened operation. He, he performed better against him. The, the extra turnout in that seat with the Democrat actually hurt the Democrat. Mm-hmm. And unless there is this seat change, and there very well could be, you know, I, I'm not saying I know everything about Western Cranston, but it is a more conservative area with more conservative Democrats who tend to vote for the president. And unless he performs much more poorly uh, with that group, that added turnout is only going to help the Republican challenge. But the,
0: the big state. unknowns that you referred to is, and, you know, we had Nick Orman a couple uh, weeks ago who said, Uh, John Harwood ran into his problems after the session ended. Now you've got, not only do you have a grand jury going on now, and we'll talk about that in a second, you also have the whole Jeff Britt case, Mm -hmm. which may be coming up. You don't know how the session is going to go. So there's a lot swirling around. I mean, it's 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 February, it's not June.
3: It's going to be a rough session. It's definitely going to be a rough session. It's going to energize the progressives, not that they're that powerful. A lot of them have bought in, and they're they're actually aligned with him now. So you're going to see that. There's already gossip about who's coming next. I mean, if you go up there, you hear this kind of talk. He's got to try to hold this thing together. He's got a budget. He also has a governor who is not kowtowing to him. I mean, she is being very aggressive and she's not going to help him out much at all. She wants what she wants. So I mean, I I think he's done some good things and I think he's got a good, strong record to run on. But I think it may be time. It may be time. And it's hard because it's so early.
2: Even in that district, um, unions are important. And last time, candidly, even if some of them were publicly for him, they were against him. Um, this time, that may change. So, I, so I, I think a lot of this is—I unpre- agree is a lot of this is unpredictable. It depends how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, depends how the grand jury and obviously, if you're a politician or you're anybody, grand jury is not a, not the word you want next to. You. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wouldn't count them out. Let's talk about the grand jury.
1: You generally don't want to start a campaign season with, if the grand jury doesn't return an indictment, my chances are better. You know, that's generally not how you want things to go. Maybe in Rhode Island it's okay, but that's generally not. Maybe a way.
0: conviction would help you. Then he could get a talk radio show, and then he could run again.
1: An, an indictment is not a conviction. It's our motto at the house, right? Uh, no, I, I think it, it presents a serious challenge. One, because you have a very serious prosecutor in Peter Nerona who would not take the steps he's taking. Um, you know, prudence is very important for him, right? He understands from the U.S. Attorney's Office there's a public perception to everything he does. He would not be undertaking the steps he's doing if he didn't think there was a very serious chance that they're going to get someone you know, uh, and and there's evidence of wrongdoing, um, and so you know the speaker has to be worried. The speaker also has to be worried because, as we've learned in Washington, as a lot of people become acquainted in the last six to twelve months, whenever you have an investigation of something, right? They, they always used to say that cover up is worse than the crime. Well, that's because it's a lot easier to get people on process crimes and get people jammed up when they're brought into the realm of criminal investigations that they otherwise may not be a part of or may not have any criminal liability, and so. He and his team have to be very careful about the situation they find themselves in because you have very skilled prosecutors at the AG's office who know what they're doing. And, you know, there's clearly an alignment here, you know, but that's what's going on behind the scenes between the governor and the AG and the convention center authority and the state police all clearly moving in the same direction together on this. And he is the only one on the other side.
3: You know, I don't I don't understand the crime. Uh, the thing is I don't understand yeah, right. what's the crime
0: I from what you underst- know
3: he's the object of the you know
0: absolutely do because the target is never called and he right. said it was funny because the speaker said well I haven't been called to the grand jury yeah, which is like a, hello again, you're not a not lawyer the, you're the you're... best
1: thing you want to say but exactly from what I understand they're potentially looking at a you know a charge of extortion and and the grand jury have been investigating whether or not there's evidence to support that charge mm-hmm. not that they think it actually happened um, there may be other things, you know, at play there. I don't know, based on the evidence that's come forward so far, what we know about if, if that's warranted. It's, I think there's do a lot this, of politics or going I'm on. Do this. Right. It's
0: a pretty straight. And look, I know extortion's a big word. We've used that a couple of times. <laughs> we don't use it lightly. But that's where all these things that we don't know that are going on in the grand jury. We mm. can speculate. But the, I agree with you. The fact that Nerona has gone this far, mm. I think, is that's a major the, step.
3: Yeah. That's the. That's the thing that would give me pause. Mm. But other than that. But also, it could I clear mean, this if they come back with a no true bill. That makes it that. Helps him, right? Well, being involved in it is—it's always there, right? That's and, the unfortunate thing. And you know, from a from a
1: partisan angle, I, I have to—I have to say this. And and in the interest of full disclosure, I'm the Republican Party's legal counsel. Although this—the original the lawsuit filed against Nick Mattiello was not filed by the party; it was filed by Blake Flippy in his capacity as Minority Leader. But the um, you know, we really were pushing this issue because of a process problem, because of JCLS and how things were being run. We weren't necessarily alleging, oh, there's a criminal investigation is warranted. The governor's appointees right. decided to make that move, and so regardless of how that's resolved, there is still the JCLS uh, abusive power or budget process issue that has to be resolved on his part, and it doesn't bode well for the speaker in the sense that it, it does challenge his authority within the state house. But he has to deal with that.
3: Yeah, I, and, and I, and also as far as the, the your other thing about that. JCSL. Okay, Mm. the thing is that that's an internal thing. Mm. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing illegal about not calling meetings. You know, there's you know, it's like if you think about it on a national level, uh, Mitch McConnell does not appoint the Supreme Court justice that the Democrats have put out. It seems like a terrible thing, but it's an internal, It's they make the rules.
1: Right, well, I, I would say it's not a necessarily a criminal matter, exactly. but there is a law that they're saying wasn't, their legend wasn't followed in that case. And then fruit but, to the poison is fine because everything that they're doing, if it's not, you know, if it's not according
0: to process. Right.
2: right. Um, bottom line on the JCLS is you're still gonna have a Democratic majority, correct me if I'm wrong. So that's, He's going forward. I think you're going to see meetings, and you're to, and that's probably all a good thing. That does that doesn't rise to the level of. Yeah, no. of, well, any, of I mean, I mean, I'm not I mean, saying it's, I'm not saying it's not an important process issue, and I understand the suit, which which you're saying some of these things that were done because they were done. Um, well, that's kind, kind of unilateral.ly But it, it is a sideshow, and, and you have a better chance of how of, of, of the odds of that being successful. Um, and on the other hand, it's a little muddier simply because the convention center is because is, the Republicans, correct me if I'm wrong, have also called for uh, the, the audit Mattiello actually um, wanted to do for the Convention Center by the Auditor General. So it, it's in terms of, on the partisan level, it's kind of a muddy mess on both sides, I think. Clearly, um, the grand jury investigation, I agree, is serious. I don't think Nerona would be proceeding, un- unless he, he, he thought there was something serious to look at. I think that's probably all we know at, the, at this point. And, and that will unfold.
0: So in the middle of all of this, the convention center uh, has been under fire. Look, there have been various investigations over the years. Kathy Gregg has been all over it with the Journal. Mm. In terms of, so they ask, hey, you got a $20 million subsidy from us. You got people working all over the place. We want to know who's there. Because we already know Paul McDonald, who's on the board. Some of his family members work there. George Knee, Labor, he's there. So let's find out who's getting the goodies, whether it's right, wrong, or whatever it So they come back and they say, well, I'm sorry. I'm you know, you don't have a right to that because it's public. And APRA, according to my reading of it, Access to Public Records Act, specifically addresses that you can't get around the public disclosure because you have private employees. So, and it's w-
3: written in the contract. There's uh, a specific language that's exactly. said that it's there. Right. The thing is, you know, there, I think, you know, when you talk about Mattiello, I mean, <laughs> to say you're going to investigate it, I mean, it, it's not a bad call. I mean, that's a favor factory. There's a lot of stuff that's going on there that deserves to be looked at. Now, the, the timing, the governor said, well, it's audited anyway. But that's why I'm not sure about the criminality of him saying, I'm going to audit, yeah, we're going to audit you. But well,
1: he, he wanted a performance audit too, which, and, and it's getting, so they're as a, they issue bonds, they have bonds outstanding, mm-hmm. so they have to be audited every year, their financials are audited. And what what he was suggesting, what the speaker was suggesting, was that a performance ought to be undertaken, not unlike what Patricia Morgan was asking four or five yeah. years ago. Yeah, exactly. I'd be very curious as to why, you know, his thinking on that change, because I was in the House when that was asked for. I supported uh, Patricia Morgan when she asked for it. And then it went into a big black hole. (laughs) And he was very much opposed to it. It wasn't something that just fell by the wayside. He was very much opposed to it. I'd be very curious to know why his thinking, why he did a complete 180. His thinking completely changed on why performance audits needed. And, And by the way, I don't know of any Republican out there who's saying, oh, now we don't want an audit. They were saying, well... It's Why present. was the audit yeah. done right after your friend got fired or got yeah, investigated yeah. and being brought up on charges? On,
2: on, Fair for point. On the other hand, though, and, and completely, completely good politics on the, on, on the Republicans' part and on Felipe's part, but when you've been calling for this audit for five years and then the guy does it, whatever his... What's Tolstoy, Dostoevsky? Men, men and women operate from a multiplicity of motivations. Yeah. Shouldn't you say, hey, yeah, we want the audit? And um, we don't need, and, and then still make the process arguments. So I, I don't think anyone's hands here are completely clean. I do think, however, that um, and the um, Romando administration be well served because the employees are going to come out now. It's just right. a matter of how long. Right. They'd the, be very well served, and the convention saying be well served to release the list. So I,
0: co- I contacted the governor's office because she was silent on this, right? And so I have to chase them. Finally, her communications director, a former reporter sends me an audio clip that she had with Patrick Anderson i said i just want a statement from the from the governor does she think it's right or wrong to not release the names and if she thinks it's wrong will she push she her her response was, Well, I favor transparency. It's like I like spring, right? Mm-hmm. I favor transparency. Are you gonna step in and get the board to do it? Oh well, no, no, no. That's their thing. So I just think from the governor she could be a little stronger. From a legal standpoint, is there any
1: any question in your mind that APRA says they should release it? Well um no, well, I think there's some question on the subcontractor issue without getting into the legal weeds. But that's but, the that's but, the majority of people. But well, yes, but for that reason I think the governor should tell them release this. We don't want to litigate this because right. there are cases where you have potentially a private contractor receiving public funds. The question becomes if you have Employees who are receiving some public funds for part of their right, job, yeah. and others. Do we have to disclose all of that? You could get into a, a murky mess. I think what you should do is disclose it, so this doesn't go to the AG's office. When,
2: when you when you have a um, authority which essentially contracts out, from what I can tell, mm. mostly all the employees. They have three employees. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Then yeah. then then whatever the legalities are. Uh, just the politics it's it says, says it's going to come, yeah. it's going to come out eventually. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think the governor has done a great job as governor, but there's one, one place where they have resisted these kinds of information requests and usually end up having to, to give the information out anyway, which is like a hey, lose, lose. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't, get to, to hide, it. I'm saying hide. You don't get to, to, like I guess I am saying hide. You don't get to hide the information. Uh, and, and and you still have, you still have to you look like you're hiding, it and you still end up releasing it. I think that, that this is one of these, unless I'm missing something. Yeah. But,
0: but this this is where it has changed with the government and media. It's like let's wear you down. Because when I was at the Journal, Joe Cavanaugh, who was almost full time doing open records, you know, we get the occasional libel suit, but most of it was open records because they knew government knew if we don't give it to you, the Journal's going to be in court the next day. Well, now it's kind of like okay, the burden's on you. We're ruling against it. File suit against us. To me, it's not an FOR TRANSPARENCY, WHICH IS WHAT THE GOVERNOR SAID SHE FAVORS.
3: Right. RIGHT. BUT I THINK, I MEAN, I THINK YOU'RE RIGHT. I THINK THAT'S THE FAILING. I MEAN, I THINK SHE'S DONE A GOOD JOB TOO, BUT I THINK THAT'S HER FAILING. SHE DOESN'T KNOW HOW TO HANDLE THIS VERY WELL. AND I THINK THIS IS A MISSTEP ON HER PART. Uh, Because I think there's a lot that's going to come out. I mean, I think this is going to be, and I, I, it's just, as, my point is, I have high regard for Nerona. I'm going to talk about him and sort of later. And he wouldn't do this unless there was something there, but I don't know what the there is. We have to wait and see.
0: All right, we have a lot of national stuff to get to, but before we do that, uh, a uh, proposal that has periodically come up over the last 10 years to raise the tax um, burden of higher income uh, Rhode Islanders is back on the table. There are a couple of different competing versions. The Senate's really kind of leading the charge on this, although there is a House bill, companion bill. This started back during the... Were you, did you have any overlap with Governor Kuchiri or not? He was, No, I came in yeah. after. So it came, Governor yeah. Kuchiri said we're going to lower it. Now they say they can get $125 million more. Maureen, let me start with you on this. Uh, they're looking for revenue, clearly. Right.
3: Uh, look, I think this is an idea whose time is coming soon but not now. I think this particular bill was misguided to, to say the least. Why? Because it's like we want to raise the tax for stuff. Right. There's no dedication. In other words, the bill in the House is, talks about raising it marginally and dedicating it to education. Restricted receipt. This is like we just need more money. I I think this is like a dry run. I think this is an attempt to get people used to the idea that this is going to be taken seriously perhaps the next time out. The House has no, I mean Abney's already talked about the fact that they don't want any part about it. Mattiello doesn't want any part about it. And and just one other thing, the argument That people make. I mean, I think eventually they're going to have to do something like that, but I think it should be a package that has to do with, for example, reforming the estate tax. Some kind of a tax package that dedicates it and and makes it some sort of a cohesive whole. Uh, But I just want to address the idea that everybody says, oh, if you do this, people are going to leave. They're going to go to Florida. You can't go to Florida if you're working in this state. You have to. You, you can't. You have to stay in this yeah, state. that's the estate tax. That's which is the, something No, different. but the point no, no, is, no, no. The
0: estate tax I, is something I, different right. than the earner tax. I think, right. But I think the earner tax,
3: right. you can't. In other words, it's like people are going to leave. Well, they're not going to leave because they're working here.
2: But, but the problem is when you're trying to recruit new businesses <laughs> okay. and new people, yeah. and CEOs are making decisions, and you and you go from. Five point, oh, you're five basically nine nine going nine to eight nine nine. You're talking about about a forty percent tax. You're not talking about a small tax increase. Now it is on people who are, who can certainly afford it. Mm-hmm. Four hundred seventy five grand a year, or whatever it is, that's a monster tax increase. The
0: house bill though would only increase. It's increase only one percent. And that is more. Point. And might I, get. Traction. I think
2: that is more plausible. Yeah. Um, and, and and the problem is when we were, or have an issue with the business climate in Rhode Island. Taxes aren't the main reason. For location decisions, it's more education and workforce, but they are a reason, and if we're not competitive with Massachusetts and well, Connecticut's got its own and Massachusetts and some of the other states, that is going to be a, a, a disincentive for some businesses to come, so you got to look at it pretty carefully.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I agree with Maureen that this should probably take place in the form of some sort of comprehensive bill. That being said, I, you know, anytime we set our rates where we could be uh, uh, higher than the marginal rates in Massachusetts, I think just as a matter of policy, we shouldn't do mm-hmm. because we should always have the ability to tell people in Massachusetts you're at least getting the same deal, if not better, than there. We're a small state. That's really the only way you can compete when people and resources can move so so freely. So, to the extent we make it so much more expensive to live here and without providing the higher quality of services that people are going to be used to in a place like Massachusetts it's a formula for people to leave and and as you said we're not we're not worried about people moving to Florida Go look at how houses are selling in Seekonk, and you'll yeah. see where Rhode Islanders are going. They're not leaving their careers. They're still earning money here. Their families aren't being uprooted, but they are moving to Massachusetts. Yeah, but Last you know, the word. thing
3: is, but, uh, all right, but the thing is, Massachusetts had a, a millionaire's tax. I mean, the idea of taxing high end people is not unique to this situation. And I think in a package sometime down the road, it might have legs.
0: Okay, the uh, South Carolina primary is this weekend, and then Super Tuesday, which we've been talking about for a long time, just around the corner. Rob, what's going on with your party over there? It's quite a uh, dumpster fire at times. It, these processes are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just leave it there,
2: but, but I, you may see, you may see the comeback of uh, Vice President Biden. If, if, the, poll, look strong if the polling and- is even close to right, he's gonna win South Carolina very, very big. And that will give him an opportunity to, for people to take a new look at him. The problem he has is he's out of money. So he is. there's 14, 15 states on Super Tuesday. About a third of the delegates total are going to be decided. And he is not up advertising in any significant way in any of them. So he's going he's to hope there's no coronavirus news for three days, and all the news is about Joe Biden, the comeback kid. He may then do well enough on Super Tuesday. Sanders will still do better. So Sanders doesn't have a prohibitive lead. And then it will get interesting. The other interesting factor will be Mike Bloomberg who was really had a head of steam based on some brilliant advertising and, and, and obviously unlimited money. So he spent already about $500 million on this thing. But
0: how much do those um, debates matter versus... So people are watching TV more d- throughout the day than they are catching a debate even if 20 million people saw it. If you're watching it during Oprah or some prime time thing and you're seeing, wow, this guy, Mike, has got it here, going. Here, what does
2: that advertising do? Here's the problem um, is is his debate performance was so bad, understandable, he hadn't done it in 10 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. everyone else's experience, that what people saw in the debates, which were which well watched, 20 million, mm-hmm. high, high, the highest Democratic primary debate ever, the one last week, not the, the most recent one, their vision of him, which was, hey, this guy's pretty good based on the commercials, and the reality of him were so, so far distant that he dropped in the polling. He's not necessarily out of this. It'll, it'll shake out after Tuesday. We, there is some chance, some reasonable shot. Um, Maureen and I were talking b- before the show. There's a reasonable chance for, for an actual broker convention here. Maureen? Yeah. I think
3: so. I think there's a reasonable chance. And the thing about Bloomberg is, uh, you know, even if you didn't watch the debate, you, the clips, you know, you, you hear these faux pas and that kind That's of thing. thing. I really think that, uh, I think there's a chance for Biden to come t- to build up steam and get some momentum. And I think we may have a brokered convention in the sense that Sanders is going to, going to do very well. The establishment is coming out now, uh, superdelegates that can't officially support someone like Biden, but they're all technically, talk- many of them are technically talking about it because of the down-ballot races. Mm. I mean, I think Sanders on the top of the ticket would be a disaster. You have to worry about Congress.
1: Well, and then Sanders has to worry about getting past the first ballot on uh, if they do go to a broker convention. So I think if it goes into um, Super Tuesday and uh, the results are, as the polling right now suggests, which obviously doesn't mean anything, um, I don't see the race solidifying behind anyone other than Bernie having a clear lead, but that clear lead has a ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that ceiling does not get him to a majority of the delegates prior to the convention unless something radically different happens between Super Tuesday and then. But so many delegates are at stake on Super Tuesday that you're really going to see a structure emerge that very well could be the structure going right in. And the issue at the convention is now after the reforms to the rules, the Democratic superdelegates can't vote on the first ballot, but they can on second and subsequent yeah, right. ballots.
3: And there And there's 771 of them. I mean, that's a big right. chunk. And you probably... I mean, that's why that's I think the con- we may have a broken no. convention, and that's going to matter.
2: Right. For that to occur, though, someone, and, and that's the dilemma here, someone is going to have to emerge. Yeah. Because if, if Senator Sanders enters the convention, say 500 delegates ahead, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. There's not, and someone else hasn't won a bunch of primaries, it's going to be politically impossible to take it away from... Oh. But if I think the race is going to shake out some. I think you'll see um, you got Klobuchar Minnesota primary on Tuesday. She could lose to Sanders. Wouldn't be surprised to see her get out over the weekend. She, yeah. Warren could be out. Um, Bl- Bloomberg's pretty practical. The, the test for Biden is people are going to take a second look at his candidacy. Just because he's doing well with African-Americans in South Carolina, that's very good. He, there's the, the amount of people between 18 and 30 that voted for him so far could be in a phone booth. They're going to take another look at him. He's going to have to be better than he's the been. Question nobody, if he's better than he's been, the, he's got a shot. The
0: question nobody has asked, though, and I'm surprised in these debates, nobody said to Sanders, all right, if you do get in as president and you have a Republican Congress, look, look how it's been with the division. What are you going to get done? If you're way over here and you got Mitch McConnell over here, okay, you have the presidency and the bully pulpit, but what are you going to get done in Congress, right? You
3: know, it's interesting. Nobody asked that question. Yeah, well, Elizabeth Warren sort of addressed it in the sense that she said, you know, this is our shot. This is our progressive shot, and I can do a better job than you that I can manage. But she didn't, the, the follow up, what about, what about if you, I mean this is assuming that the House is Democratic and they're hoping that they take the Senate and I think that's unlikely. But that is a good question that doesn't get asked. I mean it's the whole thing, he's going to, if he gets the nomination, the Democrats are going down.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and not, then
3: the process will get reformed.
0: Maybe they don't ask the question because he's not
2: going to get I think he far. is the riskiest bet. Um, Given Trump's unpopularity, um, he's still in the, in, in, the, in the low 40s. He got over 50% of the public who, who really doesn't like him, doesn't want to vote for him. I think it's still going to be a relatively competitive race. Clearly, I think he is, he is the riskiest choice. In terms of what he, he would get done, I think if you, you probably wouldn't get an honest answer. But I think he's, he's not unpragmatic. I think he would tell you he's going to move the needle, even if he doesn't get meta for, for all. He might get public option. That's the kind of stuff. Yeah, but that's the what last, the
3: other candidate. That's what the other candidates oh, are arguing. You for. get the last thirty seconds. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think the most interesting angle to Sanders is that he changes the map for the Democrat and. President Trump. That what I think the risky part of that is, yeah, he, he performs better amongst white working class voters than any of the other candidates. The question is, is that ceiling a general election ceiling beyond just a primary ceiling? Another thing, too, is how does that affect suburban votes, which had been mostly written off that's the problem. Uh, because yeah. of Republican performance? Does that not become in play?
0: All right, folks, I'm sorry we had to blow off outrages this week because we had so much going on nationally and locally, but that's all right. We'll do them next week. Dan and Maureen and Bob, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Come back here next week. Wow, a lot is gonna be changing between now and next week. We will have it all covered for you next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great weekend. experiment is generously underwritten by
2: for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face rhode islanders i'm john
0: hazen white jr and i'm proud to support this great program and rhode island pbs